Good afternoon. How are we doing? Good? Great. It's good to see you. And I mean it. It is good to see you. Uh, we're going to be in um, Exodus chapter 3. We're actually going to be toggling between Exodus 3 and Genesis 1 as we start a new sermon series today. I want to tell you a little bit more about that before we get started. Uh, the title of the sermon series is The Everyday Gospel. And so I want to explain to you where that title comes from, what it means, and what I hope we are able to accomplish in our time together in the sermon series. So to be honest with you, that was not my original title. So we put a lot of thought into the titles of the sermon series and into the sermons that we put together, the titles of the sermons. Uh, we're not just trying to be clever or creative or memorable. We want there to be meaning in what we do. And so the original title was actually The Practical Gospel. Uh, but last Sunday, our um, chalkboard artist who draws the artwork out in the hallway for the current sermon series came to me with the rough draft of the artwork and to show me to see if I liked it. And it had the title, The Everyday Gospel. And I said, you know what? I love it. It's the wrong title, but we're going to go with it because I, I like that one better. And so let me explain why that's the title of the sermon series and what we mean by that. So I, what I don't mean is to in any way say that the gospel is just everyday ordinary, that the gospel is how, somehow not extraordinary, it's just something that we include in our everyday life. But what I mean is that the extraordinary gospel, the question is how does that impact our everyday ordinary life? So what we're going to do in this sermon series is we're going to walk through different areas of life uh, and, and talk about how the gospel impacts those areas. For example, uh, my role as a husband. How does the gospel inform and impact that role? My role as a dad. My role as a friend. My role as a church member. How does the gospel impact the way that our family puts our calendar together and we're, how we set our priorities? And so we're going to walk through everyday life and talk about how the extraordinary gospel impacts ordinary everyday life. Today we're going to be talking about identity, and the sermon title is this, Who You Are. Who You Are. So as we go into this sermon series, when we talk about the gospel, what are we talking about? So quick, let me put it quite simply. When we talk about the gospel, what we mean is that the creator of the universe and the author of the human story momentarily, at just the right time, steps into the story to take on human flesh. We're talking about Jesus, and he lived a perfect, flawless, obedient life, and then he died sacrificially, resurrected victoriously, ascended back to his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father, and now we who have our hope in him await his return. And so that's what we mean by the gospel. So what we're going to do is talk about how that gospel message, that good news, impacts our everyday life. And today we're going to be talking about identity. So let's first start talking about lack of identity. What does it mean to struggle with identity or not know who you are? What we're talking about is insecurity, okay? So insecurity. Now, throw that word out there. Most of us start thinking about people we know who are insecure, right? A family member, a friend, a loved one. We all know somebody who is incredibly insecure most of the time. But if we'll take a little bit deeper look at ourselves, we'll begin to realize that probably everybody in the room struggles with insecurity at one time or another. At some circumstances, 
right, or another. So, for example, there's circumstantial insecurity. It's the insecurity you feel only when you're in certain circumstances, like maybe when you're being pulled over by the police. All of a sudden, you become insecure, right? Um, For me, I've shared this before, but uh, stepping onto a baseball field makes me incredibly insecure. I didn't uh, have a dad to teach me how to throw a ball, catch a ball, and so I tried baseball, um, and I made it through one game. But there's that moment in every baseball game where all eyes are on you, right? And, and, and for a brief moment, everybody's talking to you, everybody's watching you. Freak me out. Uh, I could not get to the, back to the dugout quick enough to quit baseball. And so to this day, just being honest, when I step on a baseball field, I feel insecurity. And the irony is that both of my boys play, and I've helped coach both of my boys. And so I have to fight through that insecurity every time I step out onto the field. And So there's circumstantial insecurity. There's also interpersonal insecurity. Maybe it's just when you're around a certain person, right? That person who just has it all together, incredibly beautiful, incredibly handsome, won the genetic lottery, just fit, smart. Everything that comes out of their mouth seems like it comes, you know, off the page of a a Hemingway novel. And you're just like, man, I just feel insecure when I'm around that person, Regardless of where your insecurities lie and when you feel insecure, insecurity is rooted in a lack of understanding who you are. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to start in Exodus 3 by looking at a biblical figure who struggled with insecurity. We're talking about Moses. If you know Moses' background, he was an Israelite. Uh, and the nation of Israel during his time was under captivity. Um, and they were slaves in Egypt. Well, Moses, um, through a series of events, actually was adopted into Pharaoh's household. He grew up um, in privilege and was not one of the slaves like his family members. Then after 40 years, through another series of events, he departed, left, and went out into the wilderness for another 40 years. And this is where we find Moses in Exodus chapter 3, where God speaks to him through a burning bush. Now, when we think about Moses, we probably think about like, you know, those, those, those modern-day movie portrayals of Moses. We see him as this confident, secure you know, muscled up, chiseled guy, but when we look at Moses in the Bible, we see a different character altogether. Matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 3, as God speaks to him, here's what God says in verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So that's what God told Moses he was going to do. Moses, I got a job for you. You're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to get my people, and you're going to bring them out from captivity. But Moses, in verse 11, said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, if you follow the rest of the story, there's more dialogue, and we see all kinds of insecurity from Moses, how he doesn't feel like he's capable or has what it takes to pull this off. But did you catch the question he's asking God from the very beginning? It wasn't, God, I don't know how to do that logistically. How are we going to pull that off? What was his question? God, who am I? Who am I that you would ask me to go do such a thing? And I think on a base level, every human being can relate with Moses. When we look in the mirror, we look at ourselves, we look at our face, we think about who we are. We ask that question, who am I? Or put it another way, God, I don't know who I am. There's some reasons for the struggle. One, 
the way that culture defines our identity is completely different from how God uh, uh, states our identity and determines our identity. So let me give you some examples. If you um, were to go to fill out any kind of legal form, like a credit application or uh, some type of federal document, you have to identify yourself. And how do you do that? How do we know it's you and not somebody else? Well, you put your name. Right? Everybody in here has a legal name. Uh, you put your first name, your middle name, your last name, and that somewhat identifies you unless you've got a common name like I do, Jason Lewis Williams. There are a bunch of us out there from like 76 to 82, for whatever reason, that was a trendy name, and there are a bunch of Jason Williamses out there. So that's not enough to identify me. I have to add to that, so then you put your birthday, right? So now we're beginning to hone on, right, specifically which person we're talking about, and we we add to that social security number, and if we really want to get intricate and detailed about who you are, we look for fingerprints or we look for DNA because those things are specific to who you are from culture's perspective. That's your identity. It's who you are. Now, to take it even deeper, culture will determine who you are and, and even add to it your worth based on what you do and how well you perform at what you do. And that's how culture will assess your identity. For example, let's just play a little game here. If you fix or install plumbing for a living, you are a plumber. If you teach school for a living, you are a teacher. If you commit a felony, you are a If you tell lies, you are a You see how that is intrinsically hardwired in the way we think? We identify people by what they do. And so it's confusing to look into the mirror and know, who am I? Am I a school teacher? Am I a plumber? Am I a liar? Am I a sinner? Am I a felon? Am I unfaithful? Who are you? We go back to Genesis chapter one. We see embedded in our creation clear identity from God's word. Now, Genesis chapter 1 is full of God creating and speaking into existence. And so we're going to pick it up at day 6 after everything that is has been created. The universe, solar system, gravity, ecosystem, the earth, dirt, water, thunderstorms, rivers, birds, crickets, daisies, chimpanzees, Labrador retrievers, Everything has been created before verse 26. But then in chapter 1, verse 26, God shifts in creation. Listen to this. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. What God is saying is there's going to be something different about what we're about to create. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now what we just read is that God is saying there is something different about who you are. You are set apart. From everything else that has been created, you are different. You are set apart. And from God's perspective, he says, here's what it is. You're actually created in my image. You can do something among creation that nothing else in creation 
can do. You can reflect who I am. Now think about that. What does it mean that you and I bear the image of God? Well, we define ourselves by the way that culture defines us. It has to do with our name, our social security number, our birthday. But the problem is what? We get a new name in eternity. Right? Once we step into eternity, it doesn't matter what your birthday is. So those identity markers that we identify ourselves with in our culture are irrelevant in the kingdom of God. You don't take your social security number with you into heaven. Right? So your identity is not the shape of your body, how many wrinkles you have, the color of your hair, whether your teeth are straight or crooked. Like, you get a new body. So those things can't be who we are. Those are temporary. Those aren't who we are. And God says, I'll tell you who you are. You're an image bearer. You bear my image. Now, now this plays out, being an image bearer, in a general sense and in a specific sense. So let me define what I mean. So in a general sense, you as a human being, whether you're a Christian or not, reflect who God is. Okay? Here's what I mean by that. God, set apart from the things that he created, has character. Nothing else in creation has character but us, right? So whether your character reflects his character or not, just having character means you're like God, right? Think about it. God has character. He's faithful. He's just. He's loving. Those are attributes of his character. Labrador retrievers don't have character. Now, they can have personality. One is rambunctious and fun and loving. Another one is maybe more aggressive, but a Labrador retriever can't have integrity, right? They can't lie. So think about that. We as human beings, whether your character aligns with the character of God or not, just the fact that you have character means that you reflect his image. You're like him in that way. You follow me? In a general sense. God has a will. Nothing else in creation has a will but you and I. Now, our wills don't always align with God's will, but again, the fact that we have a will, right, reflects that we're image bearers. We look like God in that sense, right? I mean, there's never been a Labrador retriever that had a will and a plan for his life, right? Says to his buddy, the snapper doodle, whatever, hey, I'm going to go to obedience school, and once I graduate, I'm going to ace all my tests, and then I'm going to make my way into this luxurious home, and I'm going to be a dog of privilege, right? They don't have a will. They're fun and loving, and they like to lick you, but they also eat their poop. They don't have a will. We do. Now, our will is often bent towards rebellion and selfishness, but the reality that we have a will reflects that we are created in the image of a will-having God. You follow me? So in a general sense, every human being is created as an image bearer. Every human being who looks in the mirror is looking at something that was created in the image of God. But now in a specific sense, what God has created us to do is to reflect his character and his will. And that's how we were created. That as we interact with one another and with creation, you would see God's faithfulness through our faithfulness. You would see his justice through our justice. You would see his love and know his compassion because of our love and compassion. So in a specific sense, we are created to reflect his character, his being. Yet through sin, that has all been corrupted, right? And so we ask the question then, who are we? Who am I? Well, the Word of God says that who I am is 100% based on who God is. 
Now, if we'll pick that conversation back up in Exodus 3 between God and Moses, we're going to learn a little bit about who God is simply by looking at his name. So as Moses continues in his dialogue with God, in verse 13, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and then they ask me, Well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, and listen to this. Here's my name. Here's what I want you to say to them. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me. Now, that's really not correct grammar because what God is saying there is, my name is I be what I be. Tell them that I be sent you. And what God is saying is my identity, who I am, is rooted in my being, not in my doing. Follow me? It's my being, not my doing. Now, that's the opposite of the way culture defines identity. Culture says you're identified by what you do. God said, that's not how you need to know me. You need to understand me from my being of who I am. So here's how that plays out. We don't consider God a loving God because of his loving acts. God acts lovingly towards us because he is loving and he can't not be loving because that's who he is. Follow me? We don't consider God to be a just God because of his acts of justice here on earth. His acts of justice come out of his being. He can't not be just because he is just. That's his being. That's who he is. You follow me? So what God does comes out of who he is, not the other way around. So Moses, just tell him, I be sent you, and that'll be enough. I am who I am. Now, we think about that and how that then impacts who we are. Since we're created in his image, then that must be true of us, right? So it's not what I do that determines who I am. It's my being that determines what I am. Do, yet that's not the way that our culture defines identity. And let's just be honest, even within the church, we get this mixed up, right? How many of you guys sinned this last week? Just Okay, so some honest folks here. I love this church. We are honest folks here. So if we measure ourselves by the world's standards, the world would say, hey, you're not a Christian because you sinned, right? You're a hypocrite. You sinned. They're defining who we are by what we do, but the word of God says that's not how it works. What you do should come out of who you are. I'll give you an example of how this, I think, works from God's perspective. I had a, um, a moment of um, discipline with one of my boys this past week. Um, one of my boys, I was out of town, and um, uh, one of our boys was staying the night with, um, with Hallie's mom, and so I come in from town, out of town. I get the report on how things are. She's like, hey, i got to tell you something. I found something underneath your son's bed you need to be aware of. I'm like, oh, my God. What is it? And so she tells me. Well, one of our boys. Um, see, both of our boys had this infatuation with cell phones. Holy cow. I'm like, no, you're not getting a cell phone. You're 11 years old. Our 7-year-old thinks he needs a cell phone. Where did this come from? That's just goofy. Let's just leave that soapbox for later. So... So, since we won't get cell phones for our, our boys, because we don't think that that's, they need them right now, um, one of our boys found an old cell phone at his grandma's house, and he pocketed that bad boy. And he brought it home. Then, to cover up his mistakes, he hid it under his bed. So, Hallie tells me this, and I'm like, okay, I'll handle it. Just put it back under the bed. I'll handle it later. So, 
Um, I come in, I sit down with him, I shut the door like I always do, and I sit down with my back against the door, just letting him, hey, this is just you and me, it's just you and dad talking, everybody else can take a hike, just, we're just going to chat this out. So he knows he's in trouble, because this is how we do things, and I said, okay, I need you to do something for me. He's like, yeah, dad, what? I said, I need you to go look under your bed, and he went, right, because he's calculating, how busted am I, and what's my angle, and I could just see the wheels just turning i'm like buddy go look under your bed so he goes he lifts it up he knows he's busted he grabs his cell phone he pulls it out i said what's that he said it's a cell phone i said who, who does it belong to gran she give it to you no dad okay so you took it without asking yeah i said so what do we call people who steal stuff his little lips started quivering he said we call them thieves I said, okay I said, well, where did you put it? He said, under my bed. I said, well, son, why did you put it under your bed? He said, well, we, I was on the way home, and I knew it was in my pocket. And I was afraid you and mommy were going to get really mad at me for taking it, so I put it under the bed so you wouldn't get mad at me. I said, okay. I said, so is that honest or dishonest? He said, that was dishonest. I said, all right, son. What do we call people who are dishonest? He started to weep. He said, we call them liars. And I looked at him. I pulled him in real close, and I said, hey, buddy, that's not who you are. You're my son. And in that moment, right, just the, the weight of it all began to fall off. You see, that's how God looks at us. Did some, actually all of us sin this past week? Yeah. But it, that doesn't impact who you are. Right? Who you are is your being, right? What comes out of your life is rooted in who you are, but that's not who you are. So I just pulled him in, gave him a big hug. I said, that's not who you are. You're my son. And then we talked about asking Jesus for forgiveness and asking God to help us not take things that aren't ours, right? What to do when we're tempted to do that, but that's not who you are. So in the same way being leads to doing for God where his image bears, the same is true for you. We go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. We see this again embedded in our creation. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God is speaking into human existence, our purpose. He's saying, here's what I've created you to do. And it sounds like a long to-do list, right? Go have dominion over everything. But did you see what that was rooted in first? He didn't just say, go get busy and do a bunch of stuff. What did he say? Be fruitful. You hear the difference? Be fruitful. And this is what being fruitful looks like. You will go out and multiply. You'll have dominion over all the created things, but be fruitful. Who we are is rooted in our being, not our doing. We were created as image bearers. God reflecting to the created world who he is through us. And this is the essence of what it means to be a human being versus not a human being. Nothing else in creation can do what you and I have been created to do. So that means when you look into a mirror, listen to me, everyday life, you look into a mirror, right? Most of you did. Some of you need to go look again because your hair is a little messed up. But every day, you look into a mirror. Good chance you don't like what you see. There's a good chance you want something to be different. I wish my hair looked different. I wish my teeth were straighter. I wish my eyes were closer together, further apart, different color. I wish my body shape was different. But every person in this room looks into 
a mirror, the question is, what do you see? Do you define what you see based on the world around you? Do you define, define what you see based on the world's standards of identity? Or do you see an image bearer set apart among creation to do what creation cannot do, and that is to bear the image of God? Now, I want to talk for a minute about how the gospel informs our identity. Because we talk about general image bearing. Every human being, whether you like it or not, you were created to bear his image. The fact that you have a character and a will, even if you're using your will to rebel against God, you reflect God, okay? But in a specific sense then, how does the gospel inform my identity every day in that moment that I look into the mirror? Follow me? What am I to see? I love 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we find this calling for Christians to be holy. And Peter reminds us as Christians, be holy, that God calls us to be holy because he is holy. Again, don't go do holy, be holy. And then in the very next chapter, listen to what God says about you and me through Christ. Now, what we're about to read, every person in this room needs to hear and believe. Okay, I can't make you believe it. But in that moment of identity crisis where you're looking in the mirror, this is the challenge, whether or not you believe these words. Some of you may need to go print these out and put them on your mirror so you read those words before you look at your face. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, I love this. This is who you are. But you are a chosen race, which is the Greek word for family or kinship. You are a chosen family a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When you look into the mirror, that's who you're looking at. You're looking at God's people. You're looking at a recipient of God's mercy. You're looking at someone who God calls a chosen family member, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own possession. Think about that. When you defame what you see in the mirror, you're defaming God's creation in his possession. Now, if we look in the mirror and we get excited about what we see, but it doesn't stir our affections for God, that's like looking at the Picasso painting or looking at Mona Lisa and saying, oh, didn't Mona Lisa do a good job of painting herself? Right? We, we, we see the Mona Lisa and we're drawn to the artist who created it. That's what you're to see when you look in the mirror. To behold the majesty of God who created you in his image with character and with a will. And through our redemption in Christ, God says, here's who you are now. Here's your character. Here's your being. You are a chosen race. I love this. When I fill out a federal document, I may have to put my social security number, my birth date, my name, even my race, the color of my skin. God says, that's not who you are. Right? That's not who you are in Christ. I have one family. Lots of different skin colors and ethnicities and backgrounds and cultures, but my family is one people. The nation that I call my nation is a holy nation. You can't get holy by doing. 
You can only be holy by being through faith in Jesus. The gospel declares that you are perfectly righteous in Christ. Did you know that? Perfectly righteous. You're a holy nation. You, us together, created in his image. A royal priesthood. That's who you are in Christ. Listen, the gospel is not a command to obey. It's a promise to believe. I didn't just give you a bunch of things to do. To do. God just presented a promise to you, and it's your choice to believe it or not. When you look in the mirror, do you believe this? This is who you are. Or do you see somebody who's too thin, too heavy, too round, too whatever, too old, too bald? It's a scientific proven fact in the United States of America, men who have a full head of hair have a better chance of succeeding in climbing the corporate ladder. Do you know that? Ladies, don't, don't even get me started on you. But that's not who you are. You're not a teacher. You're not a plumber. You're not a salesman. You're not a manager. You're not a CEO. You're not a felon. You're not a liar. If you're in Christ, you're not a sinner. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are. That's your being. Now, what we're going to do in this sermon series, we're going to talk about how that impacts everything else. My role as a husband, a dad, a friend, a coworker, all these sorts of things. But first and foremost, if we can't look in the mirror and believe the gospel, then we're, we're ruined in every other area. Trust me. Ruined. Hopeless. Until you first understand who you are. Not what you do. Who you are. I want to land here today and encourage you um, with these words from 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10. Next time you look in a mirror, maybe some of you just need to go home and re-look in the mirror. Okay? And, and seriously, ask yourself, who do, I, who do I see? Who do I believe this person is? Is this person a failure? Is this person ugly? Is this person whatever? Or do I believe that this person I'm looking at right here is an image bearer? And in this image, I see the majesty of the creator, the majesty and the goodness of the redeemer. I'm going to leave you with that today. Um, Our community groups are going to be talking about that this week. Our community groups are launching for the fall this week, and we're going to be discussing how the gospel impacts the way we see ourselves, and then from there, how that impacts everyday life. And I want to land with this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, and maybe today you're struggling with this idea that, that you were created with intrinsic, inerrant purpose. Like, you don't get to choose that. God created you as the creator that way. And now the creator is calling you into a relationship with him. And any sense of unworthiness, any sense of, I don't deserve this, Jesus will say right back to you, you're right, you don't, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. Come to me. Anybody can come to me. And so if that's you today, I'm gonna encourage you to take that step of faith and become a Christian today by trusting in Jesus and him alone and what he has done for you on the cross. Our prayer partners will be down at the front and the back. I'm gonna encourage you to come grab one of them and say, hey man, can you talk to me more about becoming a Christian today? Will you pray for me in this? Or maybe you've come in today just with a fragile identity, and when I started talking about insecurity, all of a sudden the wheels started turning. You're like, yeah, that's me, yeah, that's me, yeah, that's me. You know, maybe today for you is just spend some time just soaking and basking in this gospel truth that you are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's possession. Just let that truth soak into you while we stand to sing the gospel together. I don't know where this landed on you. We're gonna pray. Our worship team's coming back up. 
Our prayer partners will be available. Let's respond. Um, Father God, we thank you for this powerful reminder today. Um, God, I know that some here today quite possibly are, for the first time, thinking about trusting in you. And God, I know that's a, a risky thing from the world's perspective, but God, it is a good thing to take that step of faith and trust in Jesus. Father, I pray right now for that person who's not a Christian, that today will be the day of salvation. Father, for those who are Christians who still struggle to believe the gospel fully, I pray today that you, God, would, would, would drive a stake in the ground in our identity. That regardless of how far we may stumble and fall, that today would be a, a moment, a monument in our life that we would lean back on, that we would believe the gospel that says this is who we are. We are yours. God, chosen and adopted as your sons and daughters. God, that is who we are. Father, would you help us believe that this morning? And now as we prepare to respond, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide our thoughts and stir in our hearts. And God, lead us as we respond. We pray in the powerful name of your son, Jesus.